You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1103 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you, as always, for making Locked on Hawks your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Today's podcast will feature myself and Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops with an early check-in on what's transpiring with the Hawks. Not going to go into everything, of course, after three games, but some early takeaways, observations, etc. in between games here before the Hawks get uh, pretty busy with a back-to-back that begins on Wednesday. Before I bring in Zach, a couple of news items to hit on and we'll have to look ahead to the game on Wednesday. Um, The first and really only like broad news kind of thing that hit um, I would say outside of game stuff, was an interview that was done by Sarah Spencer of Chris Kirchner with Tony Ressler, the Hawks' majority and controlling owner of the team. Uh, Ressler reportedly said on a repeated basis that the Hawks are aiming to, quote, keep a high-quality roster in place and said that they are, quote, committed to having a very competitive payroll, end quote. I would personally note that having a competitive payroll does not necessarily mean going deep into the tax, um, which is always the biggest question with this team right now, but still pretty encouraging stuff on that from Wrestler. He talks about having the people in the organization think that they have that they would have had a pretty uh, good chance to beat the Bucks if healthy. In fact, the quote was, quote, a damn good shot, end quote, to beat the Bucks in the conference finals last year if they were healthy, which is not a surprise at all, obviously, but certainly notable. And uh, I think beyond Atlanta, the comments that drew some national headlines were Wrestler talking about free agents in the future. And I'm going to read the quote to you from uh, from the articles from both Sarah and Chris. And this is, all, this is, again, from Tony Ressler and Free Agency. Quote, think about that. How can we not be a true free agent destination? We think, I would argue, our facilities are as good as any. Our city is as good as any. Our roster is good as, good, as good as any. Our investment, our dollars, our commitment to spend is as good as any. It makes no sense that historically this team has not been a top-tier free agent destination. And I think you have to earn that and make clear that it's a franchise committed to winning in every sense of the way. End quote. So, First, I generally agree with the sentiment. I think that the Hawks have always been kind of an underutilized, underappreciated market for the NBA. It's a massive city. It appeals to people of all ages and families and single people and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's an interesting spot for, uh, you know, a lot, but also a lot of NBA players, a lot of professional athletes overall live in Atlanta in the offseason, even if they don't play here. So it's a pretty crazy thing that it's not been more of a free agent destination Clearly, the last few years they've been, have had a little bit more success with that. You know, Dwight Howard signed here famously, and that was the, not a great decision. He did he did sign here uh, a few years ago, and then uh, famously last year they got both Bogdanovich and Gallinari to come to town as two of the larger contracts that they've have sort of handed out in quite a long time. So, uh, you know, that is pretty interesting and notable in terms of his comments. I would just note that the Hawks are not going to be in a position really to sign free agents for a long time now with all their commitments that they have on the books, but. In the modern um, sort of sentiment beyond that, uh, the NBA right now is certainly a place where cap space can be beneficial, but a lot of stars never hit free agency at this point in time. There's a lot more extensions being done. There's a lot more trades happening with with top-tier players. And with the current landscape of the league, players can kind of dictate wherever they want to go in trades a lot of time. And I think the sentiment that Tony is expressing can still apply to non-free agents, guys who might want to just like ask out of their current teams and maybe be traded to the Hawks because, again, free agency and cap space are kind of out the window now for the Hawks for a while, barring a major overhaul 
but I think the sentiment still applies, which is worth pointing out. Um, at any rate, those are definitely worth reading, both the articles from Sarah Spencer and Chris Kirshner, and uh, I recommend those for sure, but I always want to touch on that because people were asking me what I thought about those comments, and nothing earth-shattering whatsoever from Tony, kind of a uh, pretty, obviously he's a pretty confident owner, and I'm sure he's feeling great right now when it comes to, uh, you know, how things are going, but at the same time, I'm not particularly worried um, or, like, you know, over-enthused by what he said in this interview. Um, still, uh, some stuff that's worth reading if you were interested in the Hawks. Um, before I get to Zach, the Hawks, again, do play on Wednesday evening in New Orleans. It's actually, it's actually a national TV game. It's on ESPN on Wednesday night. Um, and we'll touch on the schedule later on in the show, actually, with Zach, but some broad strokes. The injury report is out. DeAndre Hunter, did, uh, who missed Monday's game, is listed as probable with the non-COVID illness that he had on Monday. He did travel to New Orleans, so I expect him to play based on that. Um, Gallinari and Lou Williams are both questionable for this game. Gallo has not, not debuted this year just yet with the shoulder soreness that he's had. Lou Williams actually on the injury report with right ankle soreness after he played a decent role on Monday night. And then Akong Wu is out. So a couple guys questionable. Hunter is probable. On the Pelican side, Josh Hart is questionable. And Zion Williamson remains out after foot surgery. The Pelicans have been pretty brutal this year so far. A bottom five offense. They're one in three. They're turning the ball over almost 20% of the time, which is an unfathomably high rate. That's not sustainable, but still uh, a pretty bad ball security mark there for the Pelicans. They're good on the glass, though. They've always been good on the glass on both ends of the floor. So that's something to keep an eye on for the uh, this particular matchup. But I think um, generally the Hawks are, uh, I'd say, leaps and bounds better than the Pelicans without Zion. And that's, that's actually reflected in the betting line. Right now, our friends at betonline.ag actually have the Hawks as six-point favorites on the road in this spot, which tells you that you know on a neutral floor, it would be like nine. If it was in Atlanta, it would be more like 11 or 12. So uh, obviously that kind of tells you what they think of this matchup and the Pelicans without Zion. They have Brandon Ingram. They have some talent for sure, but not exactly a team that scares you too, too much. If the Hawks can co- go out there and play their B-plus game, they should be able to win this one. But we'll see what happens on Wednesday. And again, it's an ESPN spot. So if you're looking for the broadcast, that's where you will find it. And uh, you know, always be checking out the radio call as well for the Atlanta angle with Steve Holman and friends. Um, any rate, that will do it for the look ahead and the uh, pre-Zach uh, portion of the podcast. But before I hand it over to myself and Zach in that interview, it's coming up momentarily, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Sweatblock. There are a few things in life that just are not any fun to talk about, and one of them is excessive sweating. It's not fun for anyone to sweat through their shirt for no reason. I'm sure we've all dealt with this at some point in time, and while there are definitely bigger problems in the world, it can certainly feel like a big deal when it happens in the moment. And that's why you should check out Sweatblock Antiperspirant Wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You can simply apply it at night before you go to bed, and then after you go to bed, the next morning you can wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying at all about sweat. Guaranteed. Sweatblock is doctor-created and doctor-recommended. It works for up to seven days per use. There is also, by the way, a dry shirt guarantee, and if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. It's manufactured in the USA. Sweatblock has a bestseller on Amazon and other places for the past decade. I know it might sound too good to be true, but it absolutely works. You can wear what you want to wear with confidence, and it really is an absolute must-have. If you or someone you know and love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock right now. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or check it out at a CVS near you right now. One more time, that is promo code locked on at sweatblock.com for 20% off. Promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. I am joined now by friend of the podcast, Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me on again. 
Always a pleasure. Uh, we are, it's still very early in this Hawks season. They've played three games at the time we're talking on Tuesday evening, and they have sort of a schedule coming up that we'll get, that we'll get into later on in the podcast. But uh, kind of just taking stock, you know, outside of my own thoughts at this point in time. And uh, I want to kind of dig into a number of things quickly uh, on the podcast. But I'll, I'll just say this. What is, What's sort of been your overall takeaway from these first three games? Has it been kind of what you expected? Have they been better or worse than you expected? Like, what's your general feel through this very small sample size? I think they've been pretty good. I think that Cleveland game uh, obviously looks kind of bad, but uh, Cleveland just beat Denver in Denver, so they're doing some weird stuff on defense. And uh, at the beginning of the season, when you're already maybe not, you know, 100% clicking on offense, facing some weird zone defense with Jared Allen and Mobley, I mean, it's just – Teams aren't really knowing what to do with it right now. So I don't really take a lot of stock in that game. I also think if you're going by that game and then the, and the Pistons game, I mean, the Hawks haven't been great on offense. They've been kind of average on offense, I guess. But I don't really – I'm not really sure it's something to worry about. I mean, Bogey's numbers are down. Herder's only had one good game. Um, I don't know. I just think it's too early to really adjust much um, compared to what you thought coming in. Because, I mean, they've shown anything, all the reasons you thought they were good coming into the season, there have been like, you've seen that at some point, you know, they just have to put it all together. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, it goes without saying, I think if people listen to this podcast, but I'll just say it again, nothing that has happened or what, or even possibly could have happened really other than injuries through three games would have changed my feelings too, too much. But, you know, a couple of, a couple of observations to get into. Obviously, the offense you mentioned has not been fantastic. There were nice stretches. They were good against Detroit, particularly once they found it um, late in the first half. Um, but offensively, it's kind of been, you know, middling to this point in time. A lot of that's just lack of shot making, which will definitely change. You know, Bogdanovich is someone who you said as well, but like he's going to shoot better than this. Um, the one thing that I would point out, you know, they've been good on the offensive glass. They're actually not getting into the free throw line very much. And last year, they were a top three team in the league in free throw rate. Um, a lot of that was Trey, obviously, but it wasn't only Trey. And this year, they're actually bottom five early on. Again, it's three it's three games, but um, some fuel for the people that are worried about Trey's foul drawing because of, of the rule changes. That's It's pretty silly because Trey's getting, he's, he's actually the one that's getting in the line still. Um, but, you know, it's not the huge strength of, like, everybody on the roster. But I think they definitely would benefit and will benefit from getting to the line more often because they just haven't done that yet. Again, I don't really care at this point in time but that's kind of the only thing that's like in the numbers other than just shot making that's really different yeah um i mean i i don't know they might not be top three again but i i really don't think it'll be like i don't think they're ever going to be a team that can't get to the line i think hunter is going to get to the line obviously collins you know he doesn't get to the line a ton but he does usually get three or four um trey probably six a game eight I don't know what he's gonna do with the because I mean the rules are the rules I mean he might not get those certain calls but he's gonna figure out how to get calls at some point I mean there's still gonna be fouls called so I think almost it's one of those things where the refs are going like too far with it like they're not calling some stuff that isn't have anything that doesn't have anything to do with the rule change um but I don't know. I mean, maybe that's something that changes throughout the season or not. But I don't know. I really wouldn't worry about 
um, too much, but it is interesting. I think they've looked good when they needed to look good in two out of the three games. And I think that's really what you can go off um, more than anything else is like when they needed to come out and put Dallas away, they did it. And when they needed to come out and put Detroit away, they did it. Obviously they had the game in Cleveland where they stumbled, but two out of three, you know, if you do that all season, that's, you'll be all right. Yeah. You'll, you'll take that. And honestly, the defense has been quite good uh, by the numbers, like top five in the league to this point, uh, you know, it has to be noted that they did play two bad offenses. Like Detroit is, I think, I think worse in the league right now in offense and Cleveland's pretty bad as well, but they, you know, Dallas has been good on offense for a long time. They were pretty bad in that game, but um, you know, the numbers there are pretty strong defensively on the glass has been good. And um, you know, I've said it for a long time, but when Capella's available, they're going to be pretty good on defense. I think that's kind of a good indication as well as getting the guys and we'll get into this too, but it's kind of just refreshing to see this team having their defensive guys available like Hunter and Reddish in particular, you know, Hunter got a lot of attention. I think rightly so, for the way that he guarded Luca in the opener. Um, of course, he missed the game yesterday, but uh, Reddish has been active and playing passing lanes and doing the stuff that he does, being disruptive and just kind of being that off-ball hawk, whereas Hunter's that more on-ball guy in a lot of ways. But having them available, you know, it's very obvious, but it does change a lot for this defense. You know, you're not asking um, short of yesterday for a time. You're not asking Herder and Magdalene to kind of be stoppers. They just kind of have to, you know, do the, you know, act in their role. And even Trey's been pretty decent defensively. So, you know, broadly speaking, I've been pretty impressed by the defense, even if you adjust for, uh, let's just say, opponent quality with, with regard to Detroit and Cleveland. Yeah, I think Trey, if anything, is just he's gotten more physical. It might not be always, um, you know, he might, he might not always be able to impact the play just because of his size, but I think he's done a better job of just not getting um you know those easy just backdoor layups where they end up kind of getting him on uh on the box and he just kind of gets ran through i think he's done a better job of kind of just not letting people get down so low on him so easily but i think hunter and obviously capella but i think now that capella you know last year was like in the fold i think obviously everyone has kind of gravitated towards hunter and reddish as those x factors and i mean it's it's accurate i mean the hunter especially with the starters i mean hunter collins capella that defensive rating last year was like under 100 and, and i don't think it's a stretch at all to think it could be you know around 100 again over like a large sample so it's really i mean dallas it was game one but dallas you know they have pretty good front court offense with porzingis and then obviously they have Luca, you know, top three creator probably in the league. So I don't know. I, I feel like if you can impact them, uh, you can impact anyone with that with that uh, rotation of wings. So hopefully they can just all stay out there. Yeah, it's obviously you know a huge thing. You know, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter had the uh, the COVID, the non COVID absence, I should say, on Monday, but seems to be uh, traveling over uh, the next couple of days and. Uh, a pretty good sign that he'll be able to play, but he's listed as probable for uh, for Wednesday. So encouraging there, and we'll see how they all look with that. Um, before we get to some you know look ahead stuff uh, and maybe some player breakdowns, what have you made of the rotation at this point in time? You know, nothing's really surprised me. Um, I've been not surprised, but I you know people have you know, each and every night have kind of asked questions about what's going on, and you know obviously we saw this coming, but the Solomon Hill stuff has been uh, talked about. And, uh, you know, they went to Lou Williams for the first time in game three alongside DeLon Wright and also alongside Trey Young. Um, I guess really the only things that have been, you know, 
even borderline surprising is, you know, no Lou early in the season and also, you know, going to solo as much as they have. You know, Galnar has not played yet. He's questionable for the game on Wednesday. But anything standing out to you? I mean, the full bench lineup is something that I've talked about a lot as well. But anything that's, like, moving your needle on that stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, I also um... – I don't want to just say this about everything, but with Galawa, I wouldn't take that much stock in. I mean, it's definitely interesting that he goes full bench, and he probably still will do that with Gallo. But I, ideally, if you have Gallo, that would be better than having. Yeah, I mean, it almost makes but, more sense if you have Gallo because Gallo is a like I would I would describe Gallo as a definite you know high end starter offensively in terms of the way he actually impacts the game. So it makes more sense to me actually to play full bench units when right. you have Gallo because what I like carry I like um, I like when they had Collins with the second unit, but what I'm interested to know if they'll do, it's just like a random, random thing I want to know. I don't, I don't know how much it actually matters, but will they play Gallinari, Collins, and Jing? Like, will they bring Collins back in? Because that's what they were doing with, they had Collins out there with Jing, but I didn't know if they would ever go big, you know, and kind of just have like this really big. Go jumbo. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but at the same time, they can all shoot, you know, it's not like you're sacrificing spacing. So it's like if you're playing Sixers or something, I don't know. It might just be something weird they do in some random match. I mean, honestly, the, the, that Cavs game would have been the time to do it when you're playing like the this team that has this huge front court. You don't have to worry about wings and that stuff. I mean, or like Giannis or something. Like, yeah. The question, the question there would be, you know, can you can you guard a team that has any any kind of wing depth um, with that group? I mean, Collins would be your oh, yeah. your wing defender, I guess, at that at that point in time. But yeah, I mean, they have they have some stuff, and I do think. Well, I mean, you could have you could have Cam at two and DeLon. Sure. Yeah, and... I mean, you can, you can mess with it. And also, I think your point is a good one. Like, you don't want to overreact till we see what Gallinari looks like and what, you know, what the rotation is with, with him in there. Because, you know, they played Solomon Hill ostensibly in Gallinari's rotation spot these first few games. And I think Gallo will play more than Solo was playing. Um, Solo's getting like, you know, that mid-teens kind of number as the backup power forward. Um, I think Gallinari is going to play somewhere in like the low 20s per game when everybody's healthy. So... Those come from somewhere. Uh, I agree with you. I've been kind of yelling about this forever. Like, I wish they would use Collins with the second unit. He's he's the guy that I would choose to kind of be that stagger piece. Um, you know, I, I don't love it. I kind of said that. People have kind of pushed back at me. And I, I'm not saying it's like the worst thing in the world. I don't particularly love the full bench stuff. I really don't. Um, but I also think that it's more acceptable, more... Um, sustainable when you have a guy like Gallo and when you have Kevin Herter, obviously is on second unit already, but um, it makes a little bit more sense when it's not solo. I mean, I, and this is a pro solo space, but uh, what, I, I think currently the second unit without Gallo just can't score enough. That's kind of been my thing. Like if you, you, throw, you throw out there, if it's DeLon Wright, Kevin Herter, uh, obviously Cam has been shooting and scoring, uh, but then you throw in Solomon Hill and Gorgie Jang, and you're going to have some spacing issues. You're going to have some offensive issues, and that's kind of my number one like flag on that. Yeah, no, I mean it's not. I don't. I don't know. I think it's more of a thing that you ideally wouldn't do in the playoffs. I mean, I think just getting through an 82 game season, maybe it just you know you have all these guys and like you want to use them. You don't want to like burn out certain guys when you know you you can kind of spread everything around. I mean, obviously there's certain guys that are going to play big minutes, but I mean you've seen two out of three games have not been close, and the minutes per game right now are not really reflect you know what i mean like on a um given week sharif cooper's probably not gonna play twice yeah i mean you, you got some blowouts obviously so far um i think that i mean right now sharif cooper only has 48 games out of the next 80 
Or yeah, I guess. I mean, that's actually something I've been trying to remind people of. Like, the guys on two ways can only even be active for fifty games. Um, and once once College Park starts, um, their season has not begun yet. Once that happens, um, you're going to have them not be active all the time. It's just what it's going to be. Uh, but you know, we'll see what happens with regard to the bench. But I think until Gallinari gets back. You don't really know what it's going to look like. I do think that Nate, Nate does like the idea of second unit in terms of like a full actual actualized unit that plays together. Um, and we'll see how they handle Lou uh, and, and with regard to that as well. He's actually back on the injury report um, in advance of Wednesday's game. But uh, we'll leave that there for now. I do want to ask you about some player stuff and some schedule stuff coming up in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Bill Barr. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein. The calorie range is 130 to 180. They only have four or five grams of sugar and they only have four or five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. All right, Zach. Uh... Player-wise, you know, I, a lot of attention on Trey. He's been really good so far, uh, number two in the league in assists. His efficiency's not been incredible. He's only taken five threes a game, which, you know, is something that I always keep an eye on with him, but he's still been Trey. Like, he he was obviously awesome in the first half on Monday. Collins has been Collins. Capella's been Capella. Um, honestly, I found myself getting the most questions so far. Um, you know, Cam is probably number one by a mile, but beyond Cam, I would say Bogdanovich, who we kind of poked fun at earlier about that, but... I just don't worry about that at all. I think Bogdanovich like has proven to be uh, quite good, particularly on offense. Last year, he played at a legitimate like All Star level after he came back from the injury. So I think any notion that I'm like worried about him is just kind of silly at this point in time. Uh, unless you disagree with me, we can move on to Cam. But I want to at least give you an opportunity to uh, to worry about about Bogey if you want to. Every game he has, he goes two for ten. He's gonna have one where he goes like seven for eleven. So. Wouldn't worry about it. That sounds about right. Oh, okay. Uh, also, uh, this is a time to for me to plug this. Uh, our friend Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com and ATL on Twenty Nine asked Cam about the height question today on Tuesday, and uh, kudos to kudos for Kevin for asking Cam about. Uh, obviously, you know there's been a conspiracy theory uh, in Hawks Twitter for a long time that Cam was actually taller than six eight. Um, Kevin, I, I encourage people to find the tweet that Kevin sent out about this, but Cam kind of downplayed being any taller than that. So I just want to make I wanted to spend some time. Uh, Offering my my kudos to Kevin for for even asking that that was uh, that was fantastic, um, but beyond that the question the question is <laughs> if Cam, if Cam is being honest about his height who's lying about this well yeah <laughs> <laughs> who does he who is he well, taller than yeah exactly <laughs> like, uh, there's always there's always some uh, there's always I will say this on every Hawks team I've ever covered and every team in the NBA there are always ha- heights that are wrong it's just what it is 
uh, too short, too tall, etc. That stuff just happens. We're gonna find out here. John Collins is six seven or something. Like something. I mean, listen. Uh, you know, I can tell everybody. you. I can tell you a few from from years past. You know, current ones that I have thoughts about. I generally don't uh, give out too much because guys are listening. Yeah. I feel to that. But uh, yeah, there was old ones that were funny. At any rate, Cam's had kind of a weird season. Obviously, he's scoring a lot, which is getting a lot of attention. He's shooting great from three, fifty six percent from three, which is obviously unstable for basically anyone. Um. But his usage rate's like 29%. He's shooting a lot. He has two assists in three games and five turnovers, uh, which is not good. And he's shooting 37% on twos, which is bad. So it's like this really mixed bag with Cam where like the points have definitely arrived. He is shooting at a level and a frequency that he has not previously. He's provided the lift for sure, and I think the defense has generally been there. Uh, I think you know him, as well as my favorite part of his game, is him playing passing lanes and all that stuff. But what do you make of this? Like, if he's going to average 19 points a game, he's going to get a lot of attention for obvious reasons. But uh, do you like the way he's been playing? Is it a little bit over the top for you? Like, are what, what, I guess the role is a little bit um, still fuzzy right now because it's only three games, but he's definitely not been shy. Um, so, you know, I've always been, like, positive about Cam. But Me too. I And, like, I, I'm, I think I've been higher on Cam than you for the most part. I mean, like, a little bit. Not, like, saying you're low on Cam. I just sure. – I, I don't completely buy into the all the crazy takes, but I at least, like, I, I think he could be, like, pretty, pretty good. And I, I've said before, I, I think on here and, you know, other places that I think he could be, you know, 18, 20 points per game, good defense, whatever, really viable. But I don't – I don't really like how he's getting there right now. I think he needs to play more like – he's playing like Lou Williams or something. Like, he's creating, like, shots that – I mean, he's making some of them, but I don't know. I just don't want him, like, running around p- pulling up twos. And, I mean, he doesn't have to shoot every three that he gets. Like, he's making them right now, but I don't know. I'm, I think when Gallo comes back, they can start calling stuff and, like, be more organized. But I think it's just kind of been effectively erratic, and maybe he can – Maybe he can make, you know, all the threes all season. But I think it's it's fine. But, I mean, I don't really – I don't really – I think on a team that's this deep, I think it's kind of like a shame that if they do that all season because they they could have such a, like, diversified, like, offense, one to, like, eight or nine. And you don't really need anyone doing that, even Trey. I mean, Trey hasn't been doing that, so – yeah. If Trey's if Trey's not doing that with the starters, then you definitely don't need Cam Reddish. Like, just I mean, his what's his usage rate? It's got to be something crazy, like just per minute. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's twenty nine percent twenty nine percent usage, um, twenty point four twenty nine point four percent usage this season for Cam. He's just shooting a lot, and like it's not even about like him shooting a lot necessarily. It's it's the shot quality, which you kind of got into there. Um, and on this team, he doesn't need to do that. Um, on, maybe on a different place, you would maybe need to force the issue a little bit. But, you know, he's taking 14 shots per game in 25 minutes, um, which is 20 shots per 36 minutes. That is, like, superstar level volume. And, like, he, I know people think a lot of Cam, but he's not that level of player at this moment in time offensively. So it's just – Interesting. I mean, again, the sample size is super small, but particularly on twos, he's taking 13 two-point shots per 36 minutes and shooting 
Like, something's got to give there. And it's not the – the rim attack stuff is good. I've actually been encouraged that he's taking the ball all the way to the rim um, with some more frequency. But it's the pull-ups and the step-backs and stuff like that that is uh, what you don't have to have. And, I, you know, it's good for him to be aggressive. But uh, you kind of have this balance of – obviously, you want him to – you want to encourage him to be a little bit aggressive and, like, kind of grow as a player. So no one's saying otherwise. But you also have to fit into this team dynamic. And this team dynamic is that he doesn't need to really do that. So – I'll be interested to see how they handle it. I'm not sure what, how Nate thinks of it um, and whether this is actually what Cam is going to keep doing in terms of the volume because um, essentially no no bench guy in the league has the usage that he's had so far. Like It's like kind of – it's like may, maybe your like old school Jamal Crawford types had that kind of usage off the bench, but that's kind of it. Like nobody, nobody shoots this much in this role. So we'll see what he does moving forward. Yeah, no, I mean I, you definitely got to get when – especially when Gal comes back and then – you got to get Herder a little more involved with the second unit for sure. And then I'm fine with Cam shooting a lot. It's just I would rather them be, like, coming downhill off a of DHO. Like, actually call something and put him in, like, a good situation. Don't just hand him the keys to the offense and just, you know, live with it. I mean, it, just make it, like, worth it. Like, I don't know. Like the like you're saying with the 13 twos for 36 minutes, like, that's – completely ridiculous like <laughs> i mean the, th- the threes are fine like he's the thing is he the shot looks the shot looks better i mean that's honestly to be to be very positive about cam's offense i mean like i would say like kevin durant might be one of the only people i would want shooting 13 twos for 36 minutes i mean there's not many people like that it's i mean i guess it's every two so you're cons- you're counting layups and everything it's not just a mid-range but you know what i'm saying like it's it's way too many twos for someone who's never I mean he's he's always been like a lower like you know under 40 percentile mid-range shooter like going back his whole career so yeah no that's the thing it's uh I've been both encouraged by his shooting because the mechanics have been clean like in particular I want to emphasize this his catch and shoot mechanics are so much better now um like it looks like he's comfortable on the catch, he's ready to shoot. Um, there have been lots of instances, and that's I think that's probably the, one of the biggest reasons why he's shooting so well on threes. And again, he's not going to shoot fifty six percent from three, but the percentages are up. He's getting a lot of clean looks, and he's taking them, doing so aggressively on balance in rhythm, and that's actually really encouraging. Um, it's the it's the other one, so we don't have to go down that rabbit hole anymore. But it's uh, just something to circle because if you, you look at all the numbers of all the players so far for the Hawks, and again, it's three games. He's just, he's his numbers are the ones that like just look out of whack compared to everybody else's I mean, baselines, and that's just what I, it is. So, obviously, you know Nate is plenty qualified to, to handle this however he wants, but I think one way to handle it would be to play him with Trey because I mean you're not you're just not getting you're not getting that kind of leash with Trey. I mean he's gonna have the ball too much. You'll get the shots that you get. You know what I mean? Like just not start reddish but you know i mean just kind of line it up where he's out there with trey a little bit more and just kind of you know not only would that help him uh the efficiency but it would also probably generate him a couple more opening threes i mean it hurts when you don't when you're on a team like that and you don't play with trey i feel like it like almost hurts your percentages because he's it's better to play with him he's the one attracting attention and getting everybody open so it's harder if you're the never playing with him. It's anyone's numbers would be worse. Oh yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's it's a good point to uh, put out there. So we'll again, like I, I don't know what to make of it. 
honestly, it's all it's it's encouraging that he's been so productive and the shooting has been what it is. But um, given what he's done for the first two years, you can't just assume this is a new normal with his with his shooting and his efficiency. And even with all this, like efficiency has been like pretty good. It's not been incredible despite being you know red hot so far. I like that they actually he played some four last night, which was encouraging. I've always liked the, that as an option when they went kind of small because Collins had foul trouble and all that. Um, this, that's more of a sidebar, but. Um, Anyway, that's enough on that, I think. Um, anything else stand out to you player-wise before we uh, look ahead of the schedule and I'll let you get out of here? Um, I mean, I think Trey has been pretty, like, I think this is the most, like, patient I've ever seen him. I mean, in the playoffs, he was being pretty aggressive, and it was, you know, great. I mean, the Hawks needed it. But I, I've really been impressed just with his willingness to just kind of, like, take what, is there and not like <clears throat> not that he was trying to take over the game as much last season down the stretch, but I feel like he's been even more patient. I mean, the first two games he didn't even crack 25 points. He was really just, you know, feeling the game out maybe even a little too much, but I, I still like just to see that process. It's kind of like a, another step of growth. I think maybe that he's just like, I mean, I think he's going to, make a little more emphasis on getting other guys going and then because he kind of knows that he can go betray whenever he wants so no the patience is good i mean i I, yeah that's you said it there at the end but you know trey is someone who can he has the green light whenever he wants it and he's earned that he's and he should um yeah he's he's kind of you know caretaker is the wrong word probably but you know the sister what it i mean he's one of the best passers in the league that has been the case for a long time sister is actually up right now compared to previous seasons, at least briefly. Efficiency is in the same similar range. He is, he is taking fewer threes, which I, I honestly don't love, but I, I do understand what you're saying with regard to just kind of taking what the defense gives him and uh, getting to the rim at will, basically. You know, these opponents that they're playing, uh, particularly Detroit, um, he kind of got wherever he wanted to go that entire game. Um, Dallas as well, he pretty much just, you know, there's not a whole lot of resistance there, but part of that's that he's really, really good. So, um, I mean, they're, they're picking up a half court. They're going over screens. I mean, until they fully devote more of the offense to him going off ball, then this is just is what it is. Either you're gonna, either people are going to complain that he's taking bad threes or that he's not taking enough threes because they're just not there. Like, you, you, I know you watch the games more than once. So like, oh yeah, they're just no, they're they're definitely playing, and that's the thing. Like, I, I understand really, what he's it's not doing. really there. Like when he was a rookie, they're like, yeah, you can walk into that. We don't care. But then I agree. No, the, honestly, people, the, people get the, sick of watching it go in. <laughs> yeah, the shots he's the shots he probably could take more of from three are not like super duper clean looks generally. Um, so I there's a trade off there. There's a balance there, and I'm not saying that I know all the answers on that one by any means. But um, my my only thing is like. You know, the mid-range attempts are up, which generally are not, you know, the most efficient in the world. But when you're Trey Young, they can be efficient because he's, he's that good of a shooter, which is he's, – He's making those, and I, I don't – I don't know. Maybe it's – I know he's he said it a few times in camp that he was going to do it, but I don't know if it's something that he's like – I think he's doing it right now because he wants it in his bag, but once he kind of has it in his bag, you know – it's just another thing he wants people to have to think about. Like, oh, am I going to pull up for the floater or if I'm going to pull up from 14 or 15? Because once he becomes deadly from there, it's like it's just another thing you got to think about when he's hesitating and pass fit. I mean, it's just it's good. It's good to have that like in people's minds that that you will take that, especially late in the clock. I mean, 
it can't hurt to be good at it. Hopefully he doesn't make it too big of a part of his game. You know, like you're saying, it is some of, somewhat of a – I don't want to say a concern with someone as good as Trey, but, you know, it might not be – yeah, it's, I don't. I don't think it's a concern. I mean, I, yeah. I might even use that word before, and I, if I if I did, I, I shouldn't use that word because I, no, I don't. I don't know if you did, but no, I think I might have at some point. Yeah. I'm, I'm owning up to that. I, I, it's not a concern for me. He's he's because of the fact that he is one of the few players that I truly believe could be efficient on on long twos, which like most people can't. But Trey is so good that he can. It's, it's um, just kind of like that Chris Paul shot, and you can't always create a three. And like, I mean, not everyone is Steph Curry, and even Steph. I mean, sometimes like that famous Kevin Love play. I mean, sometimes you just can't create a three. Like, there's someone big right on you. But if you can get the defense going downhill and then pull up and step back, I mean, it's that Chris Paul. I mean, there's a lot of guys who, you know, make it worthwhile. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how much he's gonna do it, but I definitely think it could be. I mean, I'm glad he's doing that. I think it could be important, especially you know late in the game or something when you know then your first set or couple options might be defended well so yeah definitely that it, it sort of just adds to the toolbox and he can obviously do a lot of different things and uh he's a star and everyone knows it so we'll leave that there uh last thing i mentioned this on twitter today but the schedule is a little bit uh not scary for a team as good as the hawks are now but perilous in the coming days you know not, these first two games they play um at New Orleans on Wednesday, at Washington on Thursday. Those are very winnable games, particularly with New Orleans without Zion. The Hawks are favored in that game, etc. Washington's on a back-to-back as well. But after that, there's like a two-and-a-half-week stretch where the schedule is about as hard as it possibly could be. Now, it doesn't mean that it's untenable for a team like the Hawks, but they play at Philly. They do play home Washington. Washington's pretty bad, so... Well, not, not bad, but they're not, they're not great. That's the game the Hawks will be favored in. But after that, at Brooklyn... Home for Utah, at Phoenix, at Golden State, at Utah, at Denver, home for Milwaukee. That that uh, that seven game stretch is uh, that's tough. It's a good measuring stick for sure, and this team is good enough to handle it. But I, I made note of that just because I'm not sure people really noticed that was coming. But you know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot. More. We'll, we'll learn a lot more about this team in the next you know two and a half three weeks. I would say. Yeah, I mean. If they could just go two games over 500 from now until the end of the three weeks or whatever, that would be fun. I mean, that'd be good because then they would be three games over and moving on to a little easier. I mean, people not might not want to say, oh, it would be good to be like, what would that be like? Um, I don't know how many games it is exactly, but it would be like 10 and not, it's not 17 games. It's what, 12 games or something? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at – if you include the New Orleans and Washington games, that gets you to five, and then it's, I think it's nine more. So I think it's like the first 14, 15 games is basically what this stretch is. Yeah, um, so if they could be, I don't know, nine and six. Yeah, and that, that, that may not feel incredible, but I think context is going to be – I'm sure I'll be big banging the drum on this when people are like, oh, why are the Hawks you know, only you know whatever they are? nine and seven or whatever it's going to be, or maybe they'll be 11 and five and no one's going to care. But, uh, you know, it, it does not, there are not a lot of stretches that could be more difficult than this. I don't want to overstate it, but I mean, Brooklyn, Utah, Phoenix, Golden State, Utah, Denver, and Milwaukee with five of those seven on the road is pretty brutal. That, that, that West coast, that West coast trip of four straight games against good teams on the road is tough, man. So they can win. They will. I mean, I'm not going to, this is not like last year, 
early in the year where I would have told you that, you know, 500 is a big win on a road trip like that. Um, I think that 500 wouldn't be a disaster on this road trip uh, that's coming up. But I think, honestly, there's a little bit of extra emphasis, and I would I do not want to overstate it at all because it's October and it doesn't really matter that much right now. But what you don't want to do is go out and, you know, lose to New Orleans and Washington this week. Uh, th- those are games that you should win. Uh, and then Washington at home is a game that you should flat out win. The rest of those games, you can call them toss-ups. You can, Hawks might even be underdogs in some of those games. Um, but the ones that you're supposed to win, quote-unquote, like your favorite on Wednesday, your favorite against Washington at home, those are the ones you got to take care of business in. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think they will. I don't – you obviously never know in the NBA. But, I mean, I think New Orleans, I think something's going to have to go bad wrong for them not to win that game, to be honest. And then – Washington, I, I don't think they're great, but I think they can beat you. I mean, if Dinwiddie and Beal both go off, it's probably going to be close. So I think ideally with the Hawks' defense um, looking better, you know, assuming Hunter is able to go, um, ideally, you know, they would they would beat Washington both games. But, I mean, if you split with Washington, it wouldn't be like a shock. So it'll be definitely tough navigating that and – I would say even if, you know, worst case, like they're like seven and nine, I'm going to just say that's the worst case. Um, I mean, it really wouldn't matter that much in the grand scheme as long as they took care of a business against all the Houstons and Orlandos and stuff they're going to run into across the season. And then, you know, obviously they're going to win games against good teams like they did against Dallas. So I, I think definitely – this will not happen, but people should just be patient. <laughs> uh, patience that doesn't really exist, but no, I think this is all fine. They're two, they're two and one now. It would have been, you know, if they had somehow blown that Detroit game or something, it would have been a little bit more uneasy. But yeah, you just gotta take care of business here. That's all that is. And uh, honestly, one of the fresh, one of the refreshing things about this team is that they're good enough where they could actually go ten and five. To open the season, even with the schedule, I'm not saying it's going yeah, to happen. Those... I wouldn't project that. I don't think right now, based on the schedule, but they are good enough to where like they can go into Salt Lake City and beat the Jazz. Yeah, I mean we we know they can beat Milwaukee at home. We know they can beat. Um, I mean Cleveland just beat Denver, so I mean we we know they can beat win any of those games. They could win all of them. They probably won't, but I mean. Listen, if they if they uh, if there's a wide if, there's if a wide range and, if they're thirteen and one at the end of the four of the, of the first fourteen games against this schedule, uh, start talking about the finals. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get that. Um, but that year, that well, I guess they did it too. But the them and the Clippers have kind of both had those months where they just don't lose. That is that Cli- is certainly Cli- something that Clippers did it though at the beginning of the season, right? One year. Yeah, I think that's true. And of course, you know the Hawks had the at the January month, and last year they didn't. Well, last year they had won like some absurd amount, like it was like 12 out of 13 uh, in that stretch. So anyway, um, that's enough of that. I just want to at least peek ahead. I haven't done that really at all this year. Schedule-wise, I've kind of just been putting one foot in front of the other at this point in time, but uh, I figured it was time to at least acknowledge the uh, upcoming challenges that were on the horizon for this team. But uh, Zach, if you have anything else to add, please feel free. If not, uh, people can find you at Peace Troops, I know, but anywhere else they uh, should be checking out your stuff. Uh, you could go to Peachtree Hoops. You know, we'll have stuff for every game, follow-ups, uh, recaps, and, you know, plenty of other stuff on there. Um, my Twitter is at ZHood underscore. You can follow me there. But I appreciate you having me on again. And uh, hopefully 
when people listen to this, we have a, a 1-0 World Series lead <laughs> for the Braves. Uh, Zach and I are multitasking right now. I am watching the Braves game one in the World Series as I talk, and Zach is uh, heroically joining me to do that. So thank you for doing that. Um, but yeah, we'll hopefully be in a positive place for the rest of Atlanta sports, and then the Hawks return to action on Wednesday. We'll have a podcast after that, as we always would. But uh, please check out Zach's work. Everybody else over at Peachtree Hoops. Follow Zach on Twitter as well. I will tag him and all that fun stuff on this podcast. Follow the show, subscribe, and we'll see everybody next time.